welcome to the Freedom Talk Show with Veronica. My name is Veronica Blaine. Today on the show, I am joined by Oklahoma First Congressional District Candidate Kojo Asamoah Caesar. Mr. Kojo, how are you doing today? I am doing excellent, and thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with me today, Mr. Kojo. I am truly honored. And um, so tell me about your morning so far. Yeah, you know, um, I like to wake up with a morning walk. Um, and, you know, it's great to wake up early when everybody else is still asleep. It's quiet. You can hear yourself think, you know. And so wake up with an hour walk, um, clear my mind, come back, take a shower, do my morning devotional, and then, you know, get to work. And um, so that's what I've done this morning. And then I'm also getting to start my day off on the on the show. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much for joining the Freedom Talk Show today. Um, so tell me a bit about yourself, where you come from, where you were raised, and who is truly Kojo Asamoah Caesar? Yeah, so Kojo Asamoah Caesar is first and foremost, I'm a husband, right? Oh. Um, me and my wife have been married for four years. We met on June 4th, 2013, um, and got married on June 4th, 2016. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so so my wife Onika, beautiful. She's changed my life. I'm also a new new father. Um, we oh, have congratulations! Newborn, yes, newborn Hadessa is her name. She was born on April 10th. So in the middle of this, you know, coronavirus pandemic, um, but she's brought such joy to our lives in the middle of the, these tumultuous times. Um, and then I'm a son. You know, my parents are Ghanaian. They mm. immigrated from Ghana. Um, Accra, Ghana, to be more specific, and came to America in pursuit of the American dream. They landed just outside of Washington, D.C., in Alexandria, Virginia, oh, wow. um, back in 1983. And then in 1986, I was born, um, and I was born here in the States. Uh, unfortunately, my parents split up, you know, and so when I arrived, my dad was not around. So my mom was a single mom. She was working. She was also trying to go to school. And it became very tough for her to care for me and do all those things. So at the age of two, she sent me back to Ghana to live with, you know, her family and my relatives. Um, and so I, I grew up in Ghana, spent age two to 10 in Ghana, living with my aunt and her kids. Oh, wow. So how was that transitioning from the United States to Ghana, then back to the States again? How was that for you as a child? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because... At age two, I was very young. So when I got to Ghana, my aunt, Comfort, I called her mama because I thought she was my mom, right? And she had four kids, and I became her fifth child, and they were my brothers and sisters, right? And, and it was a great upbringing. It was, you know, a house full of unconditional love and joy and jollof rice and, you know, <laughs> fufu and, you know, uh, peanut butter soup. Yes. And, you know, going to school and having friends and playing soccer, you know, bare feet in the sand. You know? um, so it was awesome. And then um, at the age of 10, I'm taken from, you know, these familiar settings and I have to come to the States and reunite with my mom. And it was interesting because on the one hand, you're going to America, right? America is the land flowing with milk and honey. Like you should be excited to be going to America. Right. Uh, so I remember going to tell my friends I'm going to America. And so on the one hand, we're excited, we're celebrating. But on the other hand, we realize that this means I have to leave. 
and we're no longer going to be in touch and I'm no longer going to be around these people that I grew up around and I love, you know. So so it was a tough transition um, going from Ghana to America. Oh, well, you made it. Look at you now. <laughs> right, right, right. So let's uh, go back on the subject of politics. The reason why I actually wanted to speak with you today. Mm -hmm. Your website is Kojo for Congress. Yes. And on that website, the first thing you see, and I'm going to read it here, I quote, it says, um, it says a, voice, a new voice for Oklahoma's first district. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, what is this new voice? And what message do you, as Kojo, carry for the people of the first district of Oklahoma? Yes. Well, so, yeah, I mean, my voice is informed by my lived experience, right? Uh, and so, you know, I'm a child of immigrants, so I'm a Ghanaian-American living in Oklahoma. Um, I won the Democratic nomination for this seat, and I was the first Black person to ever win the Democratic nomination, right, for wow. this seat. Um, I was the first Ghanaian-American. I'm, I'm also the youngest to win the Democratic nomination, all right? Mm -hmm. um, and that comes with a different voice, because I am mm -hmm. not only a, a face, I'm also a voice. And yes. And for me, that new voice is presenting an alternative about what makes America great and what we need to put in place to create more opportunity for more and more people, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the question I ask myself is, you know, what do the people want? In a democracy, which we live in a government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. So what do the people want, all right? And in our nation, the people want an America that is as good as its promise, right? The America that says all men are created equal, we're endowed by a creator with certain rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, right? And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be born into a rich family. You don't have to be born into a prominent family with a prominent name, right? If you work hard, follow the rules, you can actualize your potential, right? And pursue mm -hmm. your dreams. Um, and so that's what makes America great. That's what caused my parents to leave everything behind and come over here, all right? Um, and it contrasts with the current incumbent. It contrasts with the current president who says, make America great again. But his solution is to build walls, all right? Mm -hmm. Keep people out. We want to build bridges, all right? Um, his, his thing is that immigrants come from shithole countries, all right? Um, or that they're Mexican rapists, right? So he, he likes to take one group and scapegoat them and pit them against another group for his own benefit. We're saying that's not what makes America great. What makes America great is when we're creating opportunity for more and more people, right, to succeed. And if you succeed, I succeed, all right? It's not a zero-sum mm -hmm. game. Um, and so that's the different kind of voice that we're presenting. We're not seeking to divide people up for our own benefit. We're seeking to intentionally bridge the divide and bring people together because we understand that that is the only way we're going to get things done. All right? There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. So we're trying to take Oklahoma far and we're trying to do it together. Oh, beautiful. I saw a video of you running with a group of, of people and mm -hmm. that touched me so much that mm -hmm. you are taking the people with you. You yeah. are not leaving the people behind in your message and in your journey. And yeah. I wish you all the best on this path that you have taken. Um, so being the son of an immigrant, what made you decide that I want to run for office? You know, people go back home to Ghana, you know, and run. You know, they run for the seat of the presidency. 
no, you said no to that. I want to run here in this United States. What yeah. brought about that decision? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and a loaded question for me. Uh, I got to a point in my college career where I started really asking a lot of questions about, you know, what my purpose was and what I was meant to do on this earth. Right. And um, and it hit me that I had to do some soul searching. And the way I came to define soul searching was searching your story. Right. Which then means your story doesn't start with you. It really starts with your parents and even before that. So I went to my mom and I started asking her these questions like, you know, what caused you? What was life like before you made the decision to come to America? Right. What caused you to come here? What were some of the sacrifices and the difficult you know, circumstances you have to go through to get here? And so she starts telling me these stories. And the major theme in these stories is the American dream. All right. Um, and so so I came to really define my journey and my life by this American dream. But at the same token, I realized that even though I was experiencing certain success, there were other people who were not experiencing that same success, not because they weren't as smart as me or as brilliant as me or, you know, I wasn't any special. It's just that there were different opportunities for different people. Right. Uh, yes. And my own mother didn't get to fulfill her dream, right? Because she suffered a stroke before she was able to fulfill this dream, right? So she, she she's sick. Um, my dad was incarcerated before he was able to fulfill his dream, right? There were kids that I was mentoring that had schools that were not well-funded. They didn't have the best teachers, right? Um, and so they didn't have the same opportunities. And so it, I took it personal. Like, if I'm defining my life by this American dream, and I'm saying the American dream is real for me, but it's not real for all these other people who are just like me, then is the American dream really real, right? Mm. And so for me, it was about what do I need to do to ensure that the American dream is real for as many people as possible, all right? Uh, and so that's where I started. And so after graduating law school, I decided I'm going to, because education was the difference maker in my life and the escalator to my American dream, I'm going to commit myself to using education to help others achieve their dream. And so I became a kindergarten teacher after law school, right? To just start from the, the, the bottom of the bottom in education and just learn about this education system. Um, and, and so I did that. And as I did that, my theory of change evolved. And I came to see that it was about education, yes, but it was also about building communities, right, that were shaped by policies that gave people opportunity to fulfill their highest potential, right? And and so politics became the next logical step in my journey to be able to make that happen. It is so beautiful. And speaking on education, when I read you about your platform and your biography, I, I was so inspired by you. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to interview you earlier, but then it became more apparent that I needed to speak with you. Wow. Someone who went to law school, graduated, left your degree and took on teaching the kindergarten class mm -hmm. and we all know how teachers are paid in this country right you left a law degree to teach to to me that's someone who inspires and that's someone who is a leader and that's someone that we need in office and right. so that inspires me a lot so tell me a little bit about your kindergarten class <laughs> let's, let's talk about some exciting stuff yes yes like? so yeah. so you know i have the utmost respect for kindergartners they're like the most pure like loving, Aww. resilient human beings you'll ever meet, right? Um, and so you talk about, yeah, teachers not being paid a lot. I was sent 
I was so passionate that I said to the program, send me to wherever the need is highest. All right. So they sent me to Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right. And specifically North Tulsa, which is a black community, which has a really um, great history. It, in the early 1900s, it was the most wealthiest African-American community in the nation. Right. But unfortunately, in 1921, it was burned down by white supremacists. Right. So the kids that I'm teaching are descended from this great legacy um, with a tragic twist. Um, and so now they're living in a community that is, you know, high poverty, low income. Right. Doesn't have a grocery store. Um, we are 49th in the nation in education funding. We're 48th in teacher pay, right? So I'm making $32,000, $34,000 a year teaching kindergarten. Um, but, but it was just such um, a great learning experience. And uh, being able to witness and learn about the community from the eyes of its youngest learners, right? And they were just bright and brilliant as can be, right? The issue wasn't their capacity to learn and grow. It was the fact that the adults in their lives were failing them, right? We weren't giving them the best opportunities to succeed, you know? Um, their, 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 their schools were not funded well. Their teachers were not paid well. Their parents didn't have access to health care. Their parents are having to work two, three jobs just to put food on the table. So their parents don't have time to, you know, be with them, to read with them, to spend time with them because, you know, they're not making a living wage, you know. Uh, and then you have a lot of single parent households because we live in a state that incarcerates more men and women than anybody else in the country. Right. Um, so all these issues show up. They're not just statistics. They show up in the classroom um, and and our kids have to bear the brunt of these situations. Um, but but they just gave me so much hope uh, because in spite of all of that, right, they persevered and they were resilient, right? Um, at the end of my first year of teaching, I had three kids reading on a third grade reading level at the end of kindergarten, right? Like that just shows you the kind of potential they have if they just have the chance. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, yeah, so I just learned so much and I learned that it's about not just, you know, and that, if you're teaching in an urban environment with kids that have been through traumatic and adverse childhood experiences, you know, you're not just a teacher, you're a counselor, you're a banker, you're part of the family, right? And you have to build relationships with the students and their parents. And the students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Yeah. So they're like, do you love me? Do you believe in me? Do you think I can learn? Do you think I can achieve, right? They want to know that. Um, mm -hmm. You have to give them that. Um, and, and so, so yeah, it was just a, an awesome experience and I carry, um, that experience with me in all my endeavors. That, that, that's really incredible. Uh, uh, you mentioned that, you know, the student will ask you, do you love me? Do you care? You know, mm -hmm. it all comes around that, whether you are running for public office, whatever you are doing, you never truly forget the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is all this for once we leave the people out of it? Right. There, is, there is no point. There is no humanity in that. And right. I feel like a lot of times politics turns out to be that, you know, mm -hmm. we run, people run for office and once they run for office, they take their humanity out. Right. Why they run and they become, <laughs> I would say, robots, you know, and forget that human beings have who they are managing and leading and directing. So exactly. thank you for exactly. not taking the humanity out of what you do. And I pray that it continues you know, even in your journey as a congressman. So um, I want to talk about trust. That mm -hmm. is the organization you founded. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, is this spelling resistance? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, in college, when I arrived on the college campus, um, the first thing you do, you have this convocation and the president of the university speaks to the, the whole freshman class coming in. And one of the things that I remembered was she said, we have over 200 student organizations on campus. And if you don't like what you see, you can start your own. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you're a freshman, you first entered campus, you're not really involved. You have your dorm room, you have your roommates, you have your suite mates and, you know, you're all there. You, ha- you sign up for these 8 a.m. 8 classes because you're not smart enough to understand. Don't sign up for 8 a.m. classes. Don't sign up for 8 a.m. You know? and, um, and then you go to class, and then you come back to the dorm room, you eat, and then you play video games and just chat and all that, right? So you're not very productive, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so after the first semester ends, report cards come in, and I did fairly well. But my roommates and suite mates did not do very well, and they got on academic probation. So they're like, you know, we need to like get our act together. And and I was like, you know, one of the ways that we can be more productive is instead of just going to class and coming back to the dorm, we should get involved on the campus community, right? That will keep you energized and motivated and just, you know, more disciplined. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, we're going to do it. So me and my two suite mates, we go to the student union to find an organization to join, right? And we're looking at the list of these 200 organizations and just none of them are just, you know, piquing our interests, right? And then we like, well, she said we can start our own if we don't like what we see. So, okay, what should we do? So we looked at the categories, and the shortest category was community service organizations, mm-hmm. right? It was like two organizations. And the only community service we'd seen on campus was when, in the student union, an organization will put a box, right, a cardboard mm-hmm. box on a table in the student union, right on it, food drive, Right. And then it sits there, and then maybe a week later, they'll come and take it. And then a month later, they'll say, clothing drive. You know, that was it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, there's a chance to really start an organization that allows people to get involved in the community outside the campus, right? Because we were in a predominantly white institution that was located in Norfolk, Virginia, which is a predominantly African-American city, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these white students are coming. They're privileged. They just come for four years, get their education, and then leave without contributing to the community where they are situated. So we're like, this is an opportunity to get, so let's, for us to get involved in a campus community and also in the community, you know, um, adjacent to the school. So we did that and we called it trust because we wanted to take over. So it's like a trust, right? But then we came up with an acronym to respect, unite, support, and teach, right? Oh. That's what we wanted to do. Um, and so we like, what we're going to do, we're going to give people a place to get involved. So if you want to help with kids, we're going to have big brother, big sister. We're going to adopt an elementary school where you can read to kids. We're going to, if you want to clean up neighborhoods, we're going to adopt a neighborhood where we do neighborhood cleanups on Saturday mornings, right? If you want to work with the elderly, we're going to, you know, volunteer at the nursing home. Um, if you want to work at the food bank, well, you know, so we just did that and gave people an opportunity. And it was just three of us. And we started, we got shirts, put our names on it, put trust on it. And before we knew it, people wanted to join, right? And very shortly, we became one of the largest organizations on campus, right? And if you can imagine, you have college students who go party on a Friday night, right? Mm-hmm. And on Saturday morning at 8 a.m., we wake up to go clean up the neighborhood, and there's like 50 people with us, and we're cleaning up and picking up trash in the neighborhood, right? And that really spoke volumes to me. And I was like, you know, 
we, I remember one time we were doing that and some guy in the community was riding his bicycle and he came, he said, y'all know this trash is going to be right back here tomorrow morning. Right. You wow. know? And I was like, actually, and I thought to myself, you know, the value of this, it's not even the fact that we're picking up the trash and cleaning up the neighborhood. It's that these students who are doing this are going to remember this for the rest of their lives. Right. Mm-hmm. That, um, it just feels good to help other people, right? It feels good to be in the community and try to serve, right? And then when you go to serve, what you're going to initially realize is that you, you're you deficient to fully help as much as you want to. So you have to grow, right? And you have to learn and you have to understand the world. So yeah, why is the trash going to return the very next day, right? Why can't the community stay clean? You know, why... I'm reading, I'm volunteering at this elementary school and this kid is in fifth grade, but they're reading on the first grade level. Why is that? Right. So you begin to want to understand and want to read and learn. And so that's what happened to me. And I began to read and want to understand the world and how it works and what I could do to impact it, to make a difference. Right. So that's, that was a trust experience for me. And the organization is still present on the campus. By the time I was graduating, we were the largest community service organization on campus. We were voted the organization of the year, um, and and now the organ the university has given us our own office, right? And and students are still and I graduated 2008, right? So mm-hmm. I graduated 12 years ago, and the organization mm-hmm. is still there and prospering. So incredible! You were a born leader. Oh, thank you. Thank and you. I believe that the Oklahoma Congressional Fest District will be truly, truly lucky to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, on that note, um, before we almost come to an end i want to give you the opportunity to speak about your platform i believe it's education health and economic security justice and equity mm-hmm. environment and infrastructure right Can you speak a little bit on each of those of your platforms mm-hmm. yeah and so i'll try to be quick um and connect the dots for all of them right so my platform like i said it's seeking to answer an, a question what do the people want? And the people want an America as good as it's promised. The folks in Oklahoma want an Oklahoma that works for everybody, right? So what do we need to do to make that happen? Um, we're 49th in the nation in education funding. Mm-hmm. We're 48th in teacher pay. So we're losing all our best teachers, right? We've had over 30,000 teachers leave the profession in the last six years. And because we're not paying our teachers well, we're not able to attract new talent, you know, coming from colleges to teach. Um, And we know that the number one school-based variable for student achievement is teachers, right, and great teachers. And so if you're not attracting great teachers, you're not going to have the educational outcomes that you want. And if you don't have the educational outcomes that you want, you don't have graduates who are staying in your state. You don't have folks who are starting businesses to create jobs. You don't have companies coming to your relocating your state because, you know, Where's the talent pool to hire? Or what schools are they going to send their, their students to, right? Um, so education is very important, and, and it leads my platform. Okay, so now I said the number one school-based variable was teachers. Well, the overall, you know, variable for student success is parents, right? And so that's what brings me to health and economic security, right? If, if parents are not able to stay healthy, then they're not able to stay in their kids' lives. Like my mom. My mom, when I was 14 years old, suffered a stroke. And she stayed in the hospital for four months, racked up medical bills, became bankrupt, and had to return to Ghana, right? Um, And 
And that's not unique to her. The number one cause for bankruptcy in this country is inability to pay medical bills, right? So in the wealthiest nation on earth, nobody should go bankrupt just because you get yeah. sick in pursuit of your dreams and you can't afford medical bills, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we take them away from their kids. Also, economic security. So, you know, our minimum wage is $7.25. You can't live on that, right? Um, we need to raise our minimum wage to a living wage so that parents don't have to work two or three jobs just to put food on the table for their kids and be taken away from their kids and they can't um, read to their kids. They can't be in their kids' lives the way they want to, to really help them to be uh, successful and um, to achieve, right? So we have to be able to keep parents in their kids' lives to be able to ensure that um, they can be successful. Okay, now then, because we're not educating kids, we're not also allowing their parents to really be um, in their lives. What ends up happening is we create this school to prison pipeline. So in Oklahoma, we lead the nation in incarceration of men and women, right? So that's another way where you're taking parents out of their kids' lives, right? Um, and, and we need to end this failed war on drugs. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the war that uses marijuana as an excuse to incarcerate black and brown women. We have marijuana is legal recreationally in 11 states and medically mm -hmm. in 33 states, and yet there are black and brown people sitting in prison right now for oh, using yeah. marijuana, right? Um, and they're not in their kids' lives because they're sitting in prison, right? And if we're not incarcerating folks, we're, I mean, we're not educating our kids, we end up having to incarcerate them, right, when they grow up. It is just not beneficial to anybody. Right. Um, and so that's what education and opportunity encompasses health and economic security and justice and equity. Right. To be able to, you know, build trust and be able to move forward truly together as one nation. Right. And, and one planet. That's the, the last thing is environment and infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Just being able to create these equitable, equitable systems. Then we have to be able to live right, and mm -hmm. occupy this one planet that we all live on. Right. Um, and so climate change is real. We, we are stewards of our planet and our environment. And in Oklahoma, we were once the oil capital of the world, right? So we have a lot of energy companies here and we have to lead that effort to rethink and reshape our economy, right? Um, and move it towards clean, renewable um, energy, right, sources. So we can protect our environment and leave a healthier, safer, right, environment and habitable planet for the next generation, all right? Um, and so that encompasses my platform, you know? Um, how do we build an America as good as this promise that expands opportunity to more and more people and ensure that anybody can fulfill their highest potential? Ah, oh, Kojo Asamoah Caesar. Your name, by the way, is beautiful. Oh, your, your name is the name of a leader. Thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with me today. Before I let you go, Will you be running for the office of the presidency someday? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I always like to say purpose over position, right? Um, that's, you know, that's what you said in the beginning. You talked about how certain people run for office and they take the humanity out of it because mm -hmm. it was always about the position. It wasn't about the purpose mm -hmm. for why they were doing it, right? So for me, in order for, to be that kind of leader, I have to have that slogan, purpose of a position. So my purpose is greater than any position that I'm going to occupy. And when I'm in that position, I know why I'm there and who I'm there to serve. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I want to take my leadership as high as it can go. But 
I'm not just going to pursue a position just for the heck of it or just mm -hmm. because it's the popular thing to do or, you know, mm -hmm. like people are going to love me for it. Right. Um, and so I want to build my platform and whatever positions allow me to be able to do that to serve people, then I'm, I'm going to strive to do that. Thank you so much. Thank you okay. again. Um, is there anything else you want people to know before you leave? Well, if you want to learn more about our campaign and our platform, what we're trying to do and help and support, go to our website, kojoforcongress.com, K-O-J-O-F-O-R, congress.com. Learn about our platform. You can also donate. Unfortunately, it takes a lot of money to run for office because you have to pay to get on TV and media and get your message out to the people, especially in this COVID environment where we're stuck at stuck at home. Um, so I need financial support. So um, no amount is too small. $5, $10, $15, $50, all of it helps um, to help us to win. Um, and if I win, it's not just for me, right? It's for us, right? And we yes. are going to do this together. So I appreciate your support and thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay, guys, you've heard it from the man himself, Kojo Asamoah Caesar. Please check out his website, Kojo for Congress. Like he said, if you want to donate, you'll find everything you need on the website. And if you live in Oklahoma and you want to volunteer, you can also do that. I will leave every single information down below so you can check it out and please support him and um, look forward to what he has planned for the future. Thank you all so much for joining us today on the Freedom Talk Show with Veronica. Again, my name is Veronica Blay. Until next time, stay blessed.